Well, get your Bibles out this morning. And I want to share a word with you this morning, this Palm Sunday morning. Next week's Resurrection Sunrise Holy Ghost service, right? Somewhere. You know? Somewhere. Praise God. Now, we're going to have, it's going to be a great service here. We're also going to have a sunrise service, the community sunrise service in Vanderpool at 7. And there'll probably be other sunrise services, different places and everywhere around to celebrate Resurrection Sunday, what it's all about. But I'm excited about today because we're actually, you know, we've got, we got a lot of things going on today. I, I just want to see families blessed. I want to see your kids blessed. I want to see everybody blessed today and have a good day of fellowship. And, you know, I, I've always said there's more caught than taught in church. That's what I think. You're sitting in here and, you know, you just may need a smile from somebody or you just may need a hug or you just may need to have somebody make a new friend, something going on, right? And so you, you, gotta, you, gotta, you, know, you can't just be sitting and being spectators today. You've got to be participators. And so you don't know that prayer you just prayed a while ago could have created a miracle in somebody's life that, you know, you may not ever know about till you get to heaven. And they're saying, yeah, I went to church. I don't even know who it was. Prayed for me. You know, I'm telling you, you're going to find out all kinds of things like that have happened in life. So uh, I was, I, I've been hearing testimony after testimony of just crazy things going on in people's lives. And they're, you know, they listen to the broadcast or they, they, this happened or one of y'all said something to them. And then, you know, and people were touched and blessed. And so, folks, that's what it's all about, right? It's not about just going to church. It's about then taking it outside. So anyway, I want to share this with you this morning. And I always have trouble preaching messages like, like <laughs> Palm Sunday and like, you know, Resurrection Sunday, because I got to preach that topic is what I feel like. But I just always want to just preach anything. And so I had to confine myself. So I wrestled with this thing, wrestled this thing. And then so anyway, here we go. I'm going to share this with you this morning. I, I, did, I, I don't even know if I'm going to finish it. I may have to start it, you know, tomorrow. I mean, next Sunday. I, mean, I could preach all, all day, but anyway. So go to Mark chapter 11, verse 1. Mark 11, 1. It says, now when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethpage and, and to Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and he said to the, them, go into the village opposite you. And as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it, bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. Now, is that about the craziest thing that you could ever imagine being told to do or going and doing in life. Okay, first of all, you know, you know what happens to horse thieves? You get shot, right? And so, you know, just from being around here and, you know, being in the country, and you're going to go get a, you're going to go get a, a it, now if you go study this out, it wasn't a colt. It was a, it was a foal of a donkey, okay? So it was a young donkey. And, but why are you going to go get one that's never been sat on? I don't care where you come from, an unbroke horse, a broke horse can tear you up, but an unbroke horse, what in the world are you going to go get this crazy, unbroke donkey? And I, I can't believe the disciples just went with it like, okay. And then they just walked off and went over there, and then they find him. 
And they go over there and they take him loose. Well, you'd have figured you're going to get shot right there. And so then they take him loose. And then somebody comes out and says, hey, what are you doing with the donkey? And they said, uh, the Lord has need of him. Okay. I mean, it's just a bizarre story, all right? So let's read on. So they went their way. They found the colt tied by the door outside the street. They loosed it. And some of those who stood there said unto them, what are you doing loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded. So they let, him, let them go. And then they brought the colt to Jesus. Okay? Now just look at this story. They bring this, I mean, come on, folks. I mean, I don't care if you, if you have or not or, or have been around horses or donkeys. I mean, they're idiots. I say in the, in the back of a horse's brain is just some little something that wants you to get on it so he can take you out and rake you off of a tree limb and get you hurt somehow. You know, I'm, a, I'm the cowboy who doesn't like a horse. I've been tore up so much with a horse. They always will do something on you. They won't, you know, anyway. And so as I'm reading this story, I'm just mesmerized by it. I'm like, okay, how is this going to happen, you know? So to me, this is like one of the most supernatural events that take place in the Bible. It's like the parting of the Red Sea to take this unbroke colt over there. Now they're going to throw their clothes on him? Oh, Jesus climbs up on board, sat on him. Doesn't say anything about bucking, pitching, nothing. You just talk about how supernatural Jesus is in any situation and circumstance. I mean, the more I read this, I just kept talking to the Lord. and said, Lord, I can't even believe you. Why would you have done this? I mean, you're just trying to prove that you're like the ultimate cowboy. Like, you know, here's the, the unbroke horse, and you're just like the anointing. And just gets on the horse, and he can't move. You know, I don't know. But I'm just, <laughs> it's just one of those stories, okay? And so then they spread their clothes. Okay, now here you go again, folks. Come on, if you've been around animals, you know this. The last thing you want to happen in life is for people to be jerking their coats off and flopping them around, throwing them on the ground while you're trying to ride an unbroke horse down something. I had this horse. I always wanted to train my own horse. And so uh, we were working a lot of cattle in those days. We were doing a lot of embryo transplant. We were working recip cows all the time. I had to go out and gather cattle and bring them back in. And, and uh, so I, I found me a young green boat horse. And the guy told me, he said, he's a green broke. He said, he said, it'll take a saddle, but, man, he's got a lot of, going to need a lot of work. So I got that thing, and, man, I was just so happy to get this horse. Ah, oh, I loved him. Called him Fred. And so me and old Fred, we, just, we got along great. Everything was good. But one day, just like any stupid horse, he stuck his foot through the fence and cut himself down here on his, on his hoof. And so I didn't ride him for about two weeks, doctored it up and let him on. Well, after those two weeks, and this is a true story, no exaggeration. After those two weeks, I got old Fred out there. Got him all ready, got him saddled, got everything going on. And when I put my foot up, can't hardly even do it, now i got to hold on to something. Put my foot up to put into the stirrup, I just noticed he just kind of did this little number. And so I stopped and I, I, I was like, I started talking to him. He was like, Fred, I saw that look in your eye. What do you, what do you think you're going to do? And so he just was looking on straight. And so I put my foot up there again and I saw him. So I said, this ain't going to be good. So I said, I'd get on him real quick. So I did. I got up. I swung over. And my foot was about like this when Fred decided he wanted to be rodeo stock. <laughs> and so he went pitching. You know, no way I was going to get hold of this. I was half on the saddle. Here we go through the, 
through the pen, and he dumps me right over his head. Man, I got up. Boy, I was mad. This is B.C. days, okay? It's before I knew Jesus. And so you can imagine all the things that you could ever imagine come out of a person's mouth, came out of my mouth at this horse. And so, so old Fred, I go back around and say, we're not going to put up with that. So I just pulled his own neck around, put a loop on the horn, jumped up on him, got mounted that time. But as soon as I gave him any slack, here the rodeo went. We went, and I thought I was doing pretty good, you know. Probably didn't last three seconds. I was over the top again. So then I said, well, this is ridiculous. I'm going to get hurt here, and I'm not appreciating this too much. It was cold, and so there was a plowed field out there. So I let him out in the middle of the plowed field, and I said, let's see a buck out here now, old boy. And so the old dirt was loose, and so anyway, I figured I was going to be better if I hit the ground on the soft dirt. <laughs> And so sure enough, I got him under control and did that. But every, every time after that, it was cool. Old Fred, he'd take that little look, look at me, see what I was going to do. Well, everything's okay. But then one day, I decided to take my jacket off. And for some reason, this idiot horse, when I got my jacket off about like, you know, like, about like this, trying to get one arm out, well, then here he goes. Started all over again, just run in circles because he was scared of that. You're not going to go with hundreds of people whipping off their coats, throwing them down onto the ground in front of an unbroke horse or donkey with Jesus on the back of at least there be a miracle anointing taking place. That I can guarantee you that part of the scripture has got to be true because that little old burrito would have thrown him so high. All right. So there's this miracle going on. So what I want you to see, there is this miracle taking place while Jesus is doing this. That I don't know if people thought about it or not. So anyway, then they take branches of the trees, palm leaves. They got that thrashing going around everywhere. They spread them all on the road. And those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the highest. So why was everybody doing this? What were they doing? Well, the Bible had already prophesied that the Messiah was going to come in. And he was going to come into the temple and he was going to be riding a donkey. Now, why a donkey? Why not a big white charger or something, you know? He was riding a donkey because a donkey is a transportation of the common man of the day. And so Jesus was showing that he was making himself available to everybody, that as he was coming in as a conquering king, but he was coming in humbly to bless everybody. Now, all the people that were laying their garments down, putting all the palm leaves down, doing all this kind of stuff, they were all excited because all their life they'd been told, one day the Messiah is coming. One day Jesus is, well, I didn't say Jesus, but one day the Messiah is coming. He's going to walk in here, and when he does, he's going to make everything right. So what had happened was everybody began to, you know, make up in their own minds what everything being right would look like. So when Jesus comes in, there's so many of the people thought, man, he's going to come in here. He's going to set everything right. He's going to run these old nasty Romans out of here. He's going to, you know, set up the kingdom. He's going to be ruling. Jews are in charge. Romans are out. This is what certain amount of them were thinking. Other people were just excited. Maybe they were just been poor all their life and, and, and they thought, well, you know, riches are going to come this way. But everybody had an expectation. And the Bible goes on, it goes on and says that Jesus went on into the temple and he looked around a little bit and he left. And I bet everyone was sitting there thinking, what? 
You know, we want to see lightning bolts. We want to see some action going on here. Okay? So, one of the things I started looking at that I thought was interesting was that I started, I just couldn't get off this thing about the horse, about the donkey. And so, as I just researched and looked up stuff and Googled this and that and the other, I came up and I, I found out that Alexander the Great, when he was conquering, he always came in on a big horse, okay? It was a black horse, had a white star on his head. And uh, I've been looking and trying to say his name is in Greek. <laughs> so, you know, I can't speak Greek. But it's Bucephalus or something of that nature. This horse, and it means, it means the, head, the strength of an ox. And the, the, it means the strength of an ox and the agility of a, of a leopard. That's what he named his horse. Okay, and the thing about this horse, his horse, was that it was a gift to his father, but nobody could break him. This is a true story, supposedly. Nobody could break the horse. And he went out, Alexander went out when he was 13 years old, and he started messing with this horse. And I'm sure, you know, everybody was telling him, leave him alone, you're going to get killed, whatever. But he decided that he wanted to mess with this horse, and he noticed that the horse was scared of his own shadow. And so that every time somebody tried to work with the horse and his shadow was there, the horse would see his shadow and act up and they would be trying to do everything else, but the horse was scared of his shadow. And so Alexander, as a 13-year-old boy, saddled the horse up and turned him into the sun and always made his head towards where he had to look into the sun so there'd be no shadow, and he broke the horse. And then he rode the horse in all the battles and everything that he conquered in all, of the, uh, all over the world. Pretty impressive horse, all right? Now, the point is, when I read that, I thought, isn't that funny? He was scared of his shadow. And I thought, how many people today are scared of their shadow? How many people today, I've been telling y'all, I'm telling y'all that this, this, this spirit of fear is all over the world. Everybody's fearful of everything. Everything's going you know, haywire. And, and just about the time you think nothing else could happen, then something else comes up that everybody gets fearful about. And I thought, isn't it funny that the horse was scared of his shadow? And I thought, how many people are scared of the shadows? How many Christians are scared of the shadows? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, right? But if you just turn your head towards the sun, the S-O-N instead of the S-U-N, well, then all the shadows are gone, and you can go on. And so if you want to be a Christian who's going to be great in life, you've got to keep your face head in the right direction and quit looking at the shadows. And I think it's a good word for us today as Christians because in the state that we're in in the world, quit looking at all that stuff, okay? But here you go. Jesus wants to ride into your life. Now, just think about this. Jesus rode triumphantly into Jerusalem, down the road, up into the temple, and Jesus wants to ride into your life. Hear what I'm saying? He wants to ride triumphantly into your life, but he's not going to come in on a fiery charger. He's going to come in on that humble little donkey, that little <laughs> Holy Ghost-infused donkey that doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> and he wants to walk into your life, and he wants to help you to be the triumphant victor in your life. That's what next week's all about, the resurrection. He's got the power to do it, right? Okay, I want you to understand here today that each and every one of you, God has a plan for your life. 
Not a plan like, oh gosh, you've got to follow this, 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 and this. No, but a plan for your life. It's just a plan to give you hope, a plan to give you joy, a plan to be a blessing. Do you know today that God wants you blessed? Do you really know that? Do you believe that when you walk outside and you look up at the stars and you see all the stars, that you can look up there and you can say, man, the God that put all those stars in the sky has a plan for me, and he wants me blessed, and he wants me happy. He wants me healthy. He wants me to prosper. I mean, do you believe that? I mean, you got to ask yourself that question. Do you believe it, or do you believe what's going on in the world today, that you're doomed, that you can't make it, that there's no way out? Philippians 1 and 6 says, be confident in this thing. Okay, be confident of this thing that he had began a good work in you. He's going to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So that means if God started to work in you, he's going to complete it. You're not going to complete it. He's going to complete it. Think about this. No matter how much you mess it up, he is the God who can unscramble the eggs of your life and put it back together and make things work. And if you let him complete it, He'll get the job done. But if you try to complete it, you're going to keep your scrambled eggs. Now, the second time out of Luke chapter 11, I'll just tell you, I don't take time to go read it all. The second time Jesus goes into the temple, things didn't work out the same. You can see Jesus rode in. He went into the temple. He left. He, he went out. They spent the night. He came back. He went into the temple. The second time he went to the temple, he saw all the money changers. Now, I questioned him about this. Where were they the day he went in there? Were they having a day off? Why didn't it infuriate him that day? Now, actually, if you go study this whole thing out, Jesus, this isn't only one time he went into the temple. He actually did it twice where he ran everybody out of there. Okay? So, but he goes back in the second day, and there's everybody, and they're selling their wares in church, right? It's basically what they're doing. They've commercialized church because there's a little bit of it made some sense in the beginning. But, you know, isn't that how man always does it? You, you, you get a little bit of wisdom, and then you take it, and then you, you get it all messed up. So when people would have to travel to the temple and they had, had needed to make a, a sacrifice for their sin... Well, if you had to travel with your sacrifice, something might happen to it from where you were to where you were getting to, right? And it had to be an unblemished animal. And so the priests got to where they just sold the animals. And so you just went up, you just went to church, and you went over there and said, okay, I was a pretty big sinner this week. I better get a lamb. <laughs> Maybe two. And then if you didn't think you were that bad, you just get you a turtle dove. And then if that, if that, you could just get you a grain offering, you know, or whatever. But they sold it all there. Well, then once that started being sold, well, then they were like, you know, let's sell you a remembrance of this, the thing you just got. So then they had plaques and they had everything else. And they just kept adding to it and adding to it until they was, it was commercialized for profit. All right? And so Jesus went in there and, you know, he... he Man, I mean, he put a hurt on them and knocked over tables, run everybody out of there. Little Jesus. See, everybody always talking about Jesus. Just sweet Jesus petting a lamb. Well, he's got to be pretty ferocious if he's going to be running everybody out of the temple. Somebody didn't send him. So what are you doing touching my table? No, he got out there and they were like. <laughs> so it tells you a little bit about Jesus when he gets mad. Hello? 
I mean, come on, let's don't just read everything with religious eyes. Let's look at things for what they really are. If everybody ran out of the temple, then Jesus must have been pretty ferocious running through there. So, you know, if he was a little bitty guy, nobody would probably be worried about that. I guess I'm meddling now. But he wants to come into the temple of your life. Because the Bible says in, John, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 3.16 that you're the temple now of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus wants to come walking into your temple the same way. He wants to come in in a victorious riding in there to help you to have victory over everything in life so that your temple can be cleansed. Now look at the person beside you and say, I think he's talking to you. In Ezekiel 37, 26, it says, Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forever. God wants to set his sanctuary in the midst of you. So we're coming in. Jesus, think about this. Jesus is coming in, and he comes in in a triumphant entry. But yet he knew that next week they were going to kill him. Right? So they knew next week, in our eyes, it was going to look like defeat. But in his eyes, he knew it was going to be victory because he knew the promise of the Father of the resurrection. So you think about all this. Jesus is riding in and says, y'all ain't seen nothing yet. Wait till I blow the door off that grave. Yeah, you, you know, and everybody's, everybody's thinking he's going to go up there and he's going to run the Romans out and fire and all this stuff's going to happen and the whole time Jesus is thinking y'all ain't even seen it yet next week I'm blowing the door off next week the power of God's going to hit me and I'm going to be resurrected from the dead I am going to defeat the devil next week I'm going to drag him through the courts and openly expose him that he is defeated and I am the king of kings and the lord of lords now this is what he's thinking and everybody else has got a different thinking and they're all thinking oh you know this is our day. Jesus is here. Romans are going to have to leave. I believe we as Christians do that a lot ourselves. Jesus has this great triumphant plan for our life, but we've got it, you know, minimalized into a little bitty plan that we're just asking him, oh, if he'd just do this, everything will be okay. But Jesus has got this plan for your life that's so much bigger, so much greater than you could ever even imagine. And all we got to do is get out of the way and let him come in. That's all you got to do. In Revelations 3.20, you know, I love that scripture. He says, behold, I knock at the door. He's knocking, but are you going to open? He's always knocking. He's always knocking on the door of our hearts, but will we let him come in? You get hurt. You get wounded. You get, you know, uh, uh, go broke. You do whatever's going on in your life. Marriage problems, this problems, that problems, whatever's going on. Are you going to hear the knock of Jesus on the door of your heart to say, Lord, I need some help. Can you come on in here and help me be triumphant and victorious in my sanctuary, in my life? Will you come into my life and be the, 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 the king of kings and the Lord of lords? Now, I, got, I want to tell you how to get started. Because, see, I don't like to preach a message and just tell you something. And you all go out and say, oh, wasn't that funny? And then you don't do anything about it. I always like to give you a point, something you can apply to your life, something that's so simple. So here they are. i got four points. How are you going to get started doing this? How are you going to get started in this walk? All right? The very first one is you have to make a decision that Jesus is your answer, that he's not one of multiple answers or many answers. He's the only answer. you got to come to a place in your life that says, Jesus is, he's it. He's my answer in life. Okay? 
Proverbs 1, 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The first thing you've got to do is you've got to come to that place of the fear of the Lord in your life and say, I do believe Jesus is the answer. Listen, it's, it sounds funny. And one time a guy got in an argument with me, and uh, I wouldn't relent. He said, well, well what, do you, what do you think about the answer to for the economy is? I said, oh, Jesus. And he's like, no, you don't understand what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, you're, you're, I'm talking about the economy. What do, you think about the, what do you think about the politics going on? I said, oh, Jesus. That's a definite Jesus on that answer. And he's like, what's the matter with you? You know, you're, just, you're such a religious freak. You can't even understand what I'm talking about. I said, no, I can understand totally, but I'm telling you, ain't nobody going to make it right but Jesus. There's nothing going to fix the situation but Jesus. I hate to tell you all, folks, and I kind of have to whisper it to you so they don't cut me off, but I don't care if you vote for Democrat or Republican unless Jesus gets in the middle of it and fixes it. It ain't going to make no difference. We always think, oh, they're going to do it. Oh, if we got him in there. Ooh, what have they ever done? Yahoos, if you're listening. It's ridiculous. Have y'all seen that video out uh, of this pastor standing in the pulpit? And he said, I want to I tell y'all about which is it. Is it going to be the NBA or the NFL? And he starts talking about how many. He says, and the people, you know, so many of them. Have y'all seen that? I see some of y'all shaking your hands about there. So many of them got convictions against them. So many got this. So many got this and this and this. And horrible string of things. And you're thinking, golly, which one is it? And he finally says, it's neither one. It's Congress. And I'm like, oh, my God. I was like, you got to be kidding me. That was horrible. So anyway, I'm telling you, you got to get to the place in your life that Jesus is the answer for everything in your life. And too many people were trying to make it everything else. We want Jesus. We don't want Jesus to be the answer in life. We just want him to be our personal magician. Hear me now. I'm preaching good. We just want him to be our personal magician. We just want him in our hip pocket. We want to live our lives like we want to live our lives, do what we want to do, and go down the road. But when we get into trouble, we want to pull out the Jesus card and get him to fix the situation. Hello? If Jesus is going to ride triumphantly into your temple, into your life, then you've got to be able to have the fear of the Lord and say, Lord, you're the answer. You're the one I want. So that was number one. Number two is, you have to tell him. You say, well, that sounds simple. No, I'm telling you. I know people that have lived their whole life that do believe in God and do believe in Jesus, but have never said anything to him. And there is this, this, uh, you know, like understanding, it's like, like just don't look at him and he won't call on you. You know, that kind, of a, that kind of a feeling. And so you do know God, you do know Jesus, but just stay away from talking because he might ask you or something or tell you something. I've heard people, I had a man one time tell me, and this is years ago, but he told me, he said, I don't, want, I don't like praying, I don't want to pray. God, he may ask me to do something like Abraham, make me sacrifice my son. And I, I just looked at him. I said, you know what's funny about that? As I said, uh, that happened one time in like 6,000 years of history. And uh, it happened to one guy, Abraham, who was the father of many nations, who was Jewish, who God cut a covenant with. I said, I think you're pretty safe. I don't think God's going to ask nothing like that of you. But if I was you, I'd start talking to him. Because if you don't, 
you don't have any relationship with him and if you don't have a relationship with him and you're not telling him this and you're not talking to him on a continual basis, well, you got nothing to stand on. I'll tell you all a funny one. Okay, so, you know, years ago, my wife and I, we, we signed up and we did pre-TSA, you know, so when you fly, you, it's already on your, your ticket. You get to go through the supposedly not take your shoe offline. And so... So it ran out, and, and so we were going to renew, and we were going to do all this stuff, and, you know, of course, just new things happen. And so then we, we got to looking, and then somebody told us that, hey, there's this new thing called global entry. You do that. just costs a little bit more than the pre-TSA, and you do the global entry, and then you don't even go through the poverty line. You get to go over here to this other checkout line, okay? And so I said, okay, let's go do that. You know, that sounds good. Get, get my good guy card. And I was wanting this good guy card. Right? I mean, that's what you should be. You go down there and get checked out. I mean, the, the, they've all checked me out for so many things in my life, you know, and got concealed carry permits and everything else. They've been fingerprinted so much, you'd think that if everybody just put it together, they'd say, oh, that's Robert, you know, but no. <laughs> and so we had to go, and so we're trying to figure out where to go. Like, you had to go to this office, and you had to make an appointment. You have to go in there, and you have to be checked out by the customs agents and whatever. And so we find out that you can go to Eagle Pass. Jimmy and Mabel told us about this. You go down to Eagle Pass and go, go there, and it's real simple. Because if you try to go to San Antonio, it's like three-month waiting list. And so uh, we go to Eagle Pass. And so I, I was just a little nervous because, you know, I just always am a little nervous when I get in situations like that. And so we go down there to get the good guy card. That's all I want is the good guy card. All right? And so we get in there, and we're sitting down. And finally get there, and the officer looks at me, and he says, I just have one question for you, and it gets real serious. I'm like, oh, God. He said, have you ever been arrested? And at that moment he said it, I went totally blank in my head. I just stood there and looked at him. And I was like, no. And he's like, he just looked at me from the, my response, and he kind of smiled. And he says, I'm going to wait just a minute if you need to change that. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm sorry. I said, you asked me that. I don't know that I've ever been asked that. And you asked me that, and I just freaked for a moment. And I said, I'm pretty sure I probably should have been arrested. But no, I've not been arrested, you know. Okay, so it kind of like exposed to him. Like he was kind of thinking, you know, <laughs> anybody that looks like you has bound to be arrested sometime in your life. So anyway, I get my good guy card. Get it in the mail. Comes through, got my good guy card. And I started laughing. I told Laura, I said, I bet you I flip out my good guy card. It is only going to get me in trouble. It's like, get him. What's he doing here? When I was just wanting to go like, hey, stop. I mean, this is, this is ridiculous. Don't. I'm the good guy. Well, that's the way I feel as a Christian. I'm supposed to be a pastor. I'm supposed to be the good guy. I'm supposed to know the word of God and be the man that everybody would say, oh, let's, let's let the pastor talk. But nowadays, if you say, well, you're a pastor, it's like, ah. I've already got it figured out the next trip. I got to go on. If anybody asks you what I do, I'm going to tell them I'm a ballroom dancer, dancing teacher. <laughs> See how that goes over, you know? But the truth is, if you don't tell people, they don't know. And if you don't tell Jesus, he doesn't know. So your relationship with Jesus has to be one that you're open and honest and talking to him and telling him everything all the time. Romans 10, 9, the scripture we use all the time. If you confess it with your mouth and you believe in heart, 
If you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, you have to do something. Something has to come out of your mouth. You have to say something, right? So your confession is going to determine your outcome. Do you hear what I'm saying here? Your confession is going to determine your outcome. But your confession should be determined by your vision. What vision do you have for your life? Proverbs 29, 18 says, if you don't have a vision, you're going to perish. What vision do you have for your life? Do you have a vision of joy and happiness and peace that God's with you and he's going to make everything work out right? I was listening to a really smart guy uh, on, on, on a YouTube channel. And, and anyway, the guy was talking about it. He said that if you don't have a vision, this is from a clinical psychologist. He said, if you don't have a vision that's sitting out in front of you, that it's attainable, not like, you know, you're going to you know, win the lotto. I mean, you're talking about a vision of your life and how you want to be. If you don't have a vision, he said, that then what happens is, is the, the psychology of your brain, because you will never, you don't, you're not aiming towards anything. You're not aiming towards nothing if you don't have a vision. And so what happens is your brain is basically just flipping around everywhere. That's why you're, you're crazy. But he said if you have a vision out there that you can attain to, and I'm putting these in my words. He didn't say that, but I, you know, I'm helping you out here. And so he said if you can have a vision that you can even inch towards, just, just move a little bit towards it, that your brain then starts flying neurons around and connecting things up, and it will bring you hope. That hope will just naturally, because of the way God created us to be, come into our lives and begin to bring us hope because we're moving towards a vision. So if you don't have any vision for your life, or if your vision is negative, if your vision is a vision of life, everything's shot, it's always going to be shot, I ain't going to ever make it, you know, wife don't love me, kid don't love me, dog don't even like me. You know, if that's your vision, well, then you got to get that changed, right? And that's why we have freedom prayer around here to help you. But anyway, it's what you need to do. So, so the, the second thing is here, you, you've, you've got to tell him. You've got to talk to the Lord about these things. This is something you can do driving in your truck to work. It's not something that you have to do in the holy sanctuary in Vesper time. Hello? The third thing is, I'm saying you got to tell him, Jesus, I'm trusting in you. I'm believing in you. And the third thing is, is then you got to ask him for whatever your need is. It's one thing to sit there and tell him, Jesus, you're great. I believe you are the son of God. I believe you saved me. I believe you. It's something totally different than to ask him for what he's promised you to come into your life. In Mark 11, 22, the same chapter we're reading, there was another interesting part of that story that took place because when Jesus went to Jerusalem and he saw it that day, they passed a fig tree, and there was a fig tree there, and a fig tree had leaves on it. Now, the fig trees in, in, in Israel at that time, if, you, if, the tree, if, the, if the fig tree had leaves on it, then it was supposed to have fruit on it. And so he walks over to get him a fig, and there's nothing on it. It's a lying fig tree. It's got a leaf on it saying, I'm producing, but there ain't no fruit. So it's a lying fig tree, and Jesus cursed it. So then the next day they go by, Peter looks over there and sees the fig tree. It's just all dried up from its roots. And he said, whoa, 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 whoa. That's the fig tree you got mad at yesterday. And so Jesus says to him in verse 22, 
So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God, for surely I say unto you, Whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you that whatever things you, you ask when you pray, believe that you have received them and you will have them. So prayer, faith-filled prayer can move a mountain. Do you see that? The power of God and your faith combined together can move a mountain. I don't know what mountain you may have in your life today, but I'm telling you, Jesus has got an answer for it. If you're willing to let him ride in as Lord of your life. Here's the catch. A lot of people don't want Jesus to be the Lord of their life. Again, it goes back. They want a magician. They don't want a Lord. They want mountains moved, but they want Jesus to magically do it. Just a thought, just a good thought I was just throw out there to you. It seemed like y'all didn't like that one too much, but <laughs> let me give you another scripture, John 16, 23. It says, In that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say unto you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name, ask you receive that your joy may be full. How could that, how could Jesus say that statement? And lie to us. That can't be in the Bible and God be true if that statement's not true. The fourth thing, the fourth thing is you have to be consistent. There was a lot of people in Jesus' day who followed him. But when it came down to the day of the crucifixion, everybody fled like rats. Why? Got scared, let fear come into their lives. Didn't think Jesus did what he did, had their own preconceived ideas of the way things were supposed to work, and it didn't work like that. How could Jesus be the triumphant, victorious Lord and Savior who is getting crucified by a bunch of Romans? How could that be? Their worlds were shattered, their earth was shattered, their whole lives were, were shattered because it was like, how could this be? You can't be dying. And so they gave up and they left. And then all of a sudden they start hearing stories. What? You know, it's like watching a TV series and you got tired of it and you turned it off and then somebody said, did you see it? It had the best ending in the world. And you're like, I didn't watch the ending. They left. And then they find out later, what do you mean? He's, he came back to life. So he says in Luke 9.23, and then again, I say unto you if, you, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is a man if he gains the whole world and is, he is himself destroyed or lost? But it says you've got to take up the cross daily. Right? So this is not, this is not just Sunday religion. This is your life. This is what you've chosen to do in life. He said, this is the direction I'm going. Jesus, you're it. I'm telling you, you're it. You're my Lord and Savior. I want you to come riding in on, on the horse. I want you to see me the triumphant Lord in my life. You're telling him. And then you're, you're looking for him for your answers. Not your, your own ability, your own self. But to give you these four points is why we're having church like we're having church today. It's simply for this. You need a good church. You need to be in a church that preaches the word of God 
And you need to be in a church that there's people around that will love you. Because I'm telling you what, the only thing you've got to walk through this life with is friends. Hear me, church. People that are close to you that will keep you charged up and encouraged. Because that's all you got in life. And I'm telling you, we're coming down to some things in this world that you better have some friends. And that's why we're having church like we're having today. And we're having a family church day and everybody's out here and, I, and you're supposed to be visiting. You're supposed to be talking to somebody. Don't just jump in your car and go home because if you do, you're going to miss what God really is wanting to do because you need to make a friend. We need friends. Amen? Look at the person beside you and say, we need friends. So, we're going to take communion. And... Uh, I want you to know here at Living Waters Church, you have an open communion service. If, if, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ as your Lord, Lord and Savior, you're very welcome to have communion with us this morning. If you're out there watching or listening and, and you've got your stuff prepared over there to take communion with us, you know, God bless you. But I want you to know something, church. Listen to me. We're living in a day and an hour where you cannot be toying around with Jesus. When I said that, Scripture out of Proverbs 1 that the fear of the Lord, we need the fear of the Lord in our life. I'm not talking about fear like you're scared of him, but fear like you're scared to not be with him. See, that's the difference. It's not fear like, oh, my God, I'm scared of him. It's, it's fear that he's not with you. Or you've gotten out of the way. Or you've run off and say, huh, where's, where's my Jesus? <laughs> Left him in the car in the trunk. Y'all remember the days of the Jesus, little Jesus bobbleheads, you know, that you put in your car? You don't want a Jesus bobblehead. You don't want to have Jesus out there, and then he's in your trunk, and you just you drive up on Sundays and get him out and bring him to church with you, and then go outside, put him in the trunk again. No, no. You want Jesus with you all the time. And so I'm just telling you this morning here, if you're a believer in Jesus, you're more than welcome to have communion. If you're not a believer in Jesus... Well, then I'll just be real honest with you. I don't know what's wrong with you. I mean, there's a lot of preachers do altar calls in a lot of different fashions, but this is just the way I feel this morning. I don't know what's wrong with you. I don't know how you've let the world get so hold of you that you wouldn't see that right now the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords we need in our life. And maybe you're a person who's been out there in life and, you know, you just kind of just, you, you were saved as a kid or you went to church as a kid and you, you, you got you some certificate on the wall or something. I don't know. But I'm just telling you, these are the days to get real with Jesus. He's the answer to everything in your life. And he's sitting there knocking on the door waiting for you. All you have to do is ask him to come in. And when you ask him to come in, he will come in. Amen? And so I want to ask you to do something for me. Can I have my, uh, my whoever's helping me this morning serve this morning, prayer team and all, come on down here. And I'm going to serve them so they can help serve y'all. And uh, they're here also to pray with you. If you need prayer this morning for anything. But while they're getting up here, I want everybody just to stop. And I want you just to bow your heads or your hearts just for a moment. Just, just, just have a, a, a quiet time here with Jesus. And I just want to ask you, if you're here and you, you're not sure if you're saved. You're not sure that if you died, you'd go to heaven. Well, then I want to give you an opportunity right now just to pray with me. And then you can come up here and take communion this morning. And it'll be your first time in the kingdom of God and walking with him. And I simply just ask you this. 
If you don't know for sure, if you died, you'd go to heaven. But today you want to make that change. Just lift your hand and say, yeah, Pastor, that's me. I want to know that I'm right with Jesus. I want to know that I'm right with Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Now, everyone, just, just pray this with me. Those of you that lifted your hand, just, just pray this with me. Say, Jesus, I thank you that you saved me. I gave my life to you, and you washed my sins away. I am so grateful that heaven is my home. Today, I rejoice that I'm in the kingdom with you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now, church, listen. You think about, I want to serve these people here. You think about this message and what, what, it, what Jesus and the Holy Spirit is saying to you. And then come up here and take communion. And I believe it for miracles. Whatever you have need of today, whatever's going on in your life, I'm believing that your faith connected to the power of God. When you come up and take communion today, that it's not just some kind of a church ritual. It is absolutely the power of God of communion. Coming together, communion. Coming together, the power of God in you. Amen? Amen. scriptures tell us on the night that Jesus was betrayed that he took bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said now take and eat for this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance for me so Lord we thank you for your broken body on the cross the Lord you went to the cross for us you took it all upon yourself so that Lord today that we could be free and we could be healed and our broken hearts and our broken lives could be mended Lord in Jesus mighty name afterwards you took the cup and he said this cup is the new covenant poured out in my blood for the forgiveness of sin drink it in remembrance of me so Lord we thank you that your blood you shed it upon the cross for us so that the, you paid the price for us so that our sins could be forgiven we could be made right with God and we could be blessed Lord with you and so Lord we thank you for it in Jesus my name Lord, we praise you for the for all that you're doing. And I pray today, Lord God, that there is an awakening and an opening of, of, of our lives to you. To see that you're moving our life and that, Lord, you are the answer. And Lord, today I declare that we have dedicated our hearts to you, dedicated our lives to you. You are the Lord of our life. And Lord, as we go forth, I thank you that your good hand is upon us, blessing us. Lord, bless our fellowship today. Bless all the food, all of those that prepared it. Lord, that we have a day of fellowship, a day of fun. Bless the kids, Lord God, that today is an excitement and joy, knowing they can be in the house of the Lord and have fun. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you, church.